It's Sanchez himself. We have David Walker in studio for this very special edition of Portland at the Movies. In a world, in a time, in a land of eternal beauty, all that stands between a city and a disaster, in a city where anything can happen, if you thought you had seen it all, you must be saving your allowance, Gene. Let's seal it with a kiss. Hello and welcome to a very special edition of Portland at the Movies. I'm one of your hosts, Todd Workoven, and I'm here with Mark Middleton. How are you, Mark? I'm doing really well. And of course, Brian, the Unipiper. How are you, Brian? I'm good. I'm excited for this. Good, good. Yes, I have a little introduction. Uh, David Walker. I have, I have a little buzz in my ear. Am I, only, am I the only one? Is it just no, me? Uh, I... I it's coming from all the microphones. <laughs> it's just too much to it's, have all in one room. It's excited. Uh, well, I'll cut that all out in post. Uh, David Walker has been a Portland fixture for over four decades, working oh in both God. in front and behind the camera. He's also a prolific author and creator of characters and websites from Badass Mofo to Darius Logan to Black Santa's Revenge to filling in for a fired Tim Riley on The Rick Emerson Show uh, to writing for internationally known DC and Marvel characters such as Power Man and Iron Fist, Cyborg, Luke Cage, Occupied Avengers, Nighthawk. He has also created the fantastic new DC character Naomi, and is responsible for the graphic novels The Life of Frederick Douglass and Bitterroot and so many more things. But of course, we all remember him as the indelible Sanchez in the <laughs> Portland classic Fatal Revenge. It's David Walker. <laughs> David, thank you so much for coming on our show. Thanks. Yeah, no, I'm like, all of a sudden my whole life is flashing in front of me. <laughs> it's like a terrible <clears throat> version of This Is Your Life yeah, that we yeah, brought yeah. you onto. A lot of uh, bad decisions and um, <laughs> that's okay. That's good. It's well, uh, the the reason we're having you on the show is not just because uh, you've been involved in, in an amazing amount of Portland culture for the, for the past years, um, but every time we researched one of these movies that we've uh, reviewed on the show that we have never heard of, your name came up as either the person responsible for still talking about the movie or as somebody who was, you know, interviewed about the movie. And it's your your fingerprints are all over uh, the, the Portland film scene. And I think so, it's like once an episode you mentioned David Walker. Yeah, I was trying to think and I didn't l listen back to them all because that would have uh, been pointless. It's, but it's like three quarters <laughs> of our episode. At some point, your name comes Todd up. Todd saying David Walker supercut. Yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's uh. It's weird, you know, I, I, because I, in some ways this is uh, what we're talking about is feels like my past life. I recently went to a screening at the Hollywood Theater for James Westby's new documentary at the movies. I want to see that. And um, that was like a total past life experience because it was there was a ton of film people, ton of production people at this event, most of whom I, I haven't seen in a very long time. And, and it sort of reminded me of the life that I used to live that, um, you know, that, 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 that we're here to talk about right now. So when did you, did you, I, I don't, I, I, did you grow up in Portland or when did you get to Portland? Uh, I moved here. My mom got a job here when I was in junior high. Okay. So moved here when I was, you know, what, like 12 years old or something like that. And the um, formative years. Yes, definitely the formative years. And, uh, so went to junior high and high school here and was, you know, just sort of a restless kid. So I, I, I 
moved around the city a lot, would take the bus different places, go to the movies and, and diff- at different theaters. You know, I, I don't think any of the movie theaters I went to when I was a kid are still around anymore. Wow. Um, and, and then eventually, you know, got involved in, in film a little bit here and, and met just some of the wacky, colorful <laughs> characters that were, um, that populated that, that there, I mean, there was a scene for sure. It, it's not that well documented or talked about anymore, but I was, I was here really for the, a lot of the, I guess the, you'd say the tail end of it. So how did you like, cause that scene, it wasn't like the Hollywood machine type scene that we might see around like leverage or something like that. I mean, yeah. it was, it was a very indie an Indian underground scene. So how do you even get involved in that? Well, how did I get involved with yeah, that? Sure. That's, that's a crazy. <laughs> um, so I was, I was going to uh, Mount Hood Community College at the time. This was like 87, 88, somewhere in there. And uh, one of my best friends from high school was also going to Mount Hood Community College. And uh, that uh, he calls me up one day. This is my friend JR, JR, and JR is also in Fatal Revenge. Right. And he calls me up one day and, and he says, hey, my, my dad knows a guy who's making a kung fu movie. We should go audition for it. Which seemed like the stupidest thing to say, <laughs> but um, or the greatest. And so we were like, "Sure, let's." I, I, and and the thing was, Jay didn't have a car. I had a car, right? So I went and picked him up, and we drove over to Northwest Portland. On I, I want to say it's like uh, about 18th and and Lovejoy or Kearney. I, I could I could take you to the building. I just can't remember the streets. <laughs> But there was a uh, an old film lab there, and there was a screening room. And this is back in the day when e- it, f- news the news was now being shot on video. But in the you know fifties and sixties, they would they would shoot the news on film, and then the film would have to be developed. Every major city that had a, a news program or news channels, uh, they had a film lab. And so Portland's was based over there at uh, a company was called Technofilm, and and so pretty much any filmmaker in town had an office either near there or around there and and that was where the auditions for fatal revenge were and and so that was really sort of our introduction there this was like i said it was 87 88 and and there was a few other productions going on either that had just wrapped or getting ready to go into production there was a guy named steve miller had just wrapped up on something and he was getting ready to start something new and 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 I and honestly, this is one of those things because my memory isn't as, as great as it could be. Um, there was uh, like there's only like one or two casting agents. So mm-hmm. they, you know, once we went in, Jr. and I were like the, the two young Turks that no one had ever <laughs> seen before. Right. The fresh faces. <laughs> and and, you know, we, we went in and neither of us were particularly good actors, but we just we treated the whole thing like it was a, a huge joke. Right. And and amazingly, we both got cast. So, had you ever heard of this guy or this production? Or Nothing. Just a, okay, not so a I was thing. pretty blind. Yeah, and and I, all all I knew was like kung fu movie, right? right. And 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 really, it's not That's... that much of a kung fu movie. <laughs> Were um, you into film in general at this time? I I was, but I um was I was at Mount Hood Community College. I was studying um, graphic design and and art, and was actually getting ready to move to New York City to go to the School of Visual Arts. Mm. I had done some acting in in high school and and some acting in college and had dabbled in film, but I was really, I had my eyes set on going into the comic book industry at this point. Um, You know, we'll say I I was like 19 or 20 and 
And that was that was really where all my focus was. So the thought of doing a movie was just like, yeah, okay, I, I'll be able this. I'll be able to say I did it. And right. and, um, and so we we went down there and and Jr. got cast in a bigger part. And and everybody just loved him. He was he was such a he is still such a lovable guy. And so he started getting cast in in a couple other local productions like on the strength of his performance in <laughs> fatal revenge um as guido and uh the power of that movie yeah and and the thing was is i had a car and he didn't right. so i would have a tendency to like drive in places yeah. um and then they would meet me and 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 so like i was an extra in one of steve miller's movies um and then and then i as an extra in two of his movies um i've never seen either of them all the way through <laughs> And uh, and I would see him pretty regularly, but he had an office there in that Technofilm building. And that was sort of it, it really was like ground zero. For... I was just going to say ground zero. Uh, we we have a map that I put together after every episode um, of the different locations. And you can click on the little marker or whatever and, and see that location from that movie at that time or whatever. Um, and so I feel like we need like the ground zero mark on wherever you had those auditions. <laughs> yeah, it was, um, you know, and it was interesting cause that there, even though they stopped like, cause they would develop the film there for a very, very long time. They did that for years up until the, I would say the late eighties, early nineties. One of the last films that I worked on, I remember, um, we would we were taking the film to the airport because it had to be developed down in LA. So we we'd drop it off at the uh, Alaska Air Freight. It would get sh- sent down to LA. Then it would come back and it would go to that Technofilm building because they still had a screening room with uh, with a thirty five projector in there. Okay. Um, and and it was interesting because this particular film, which starred Andrew McCarthy from uh, Weekend at Bernie's and Mannequin. Yeah. Um, <laughs> who was not a particularly pleasant person. Um, this was right before nonlinear editing came in. Sure. So, so that was why the film was having to be developed. And, and I remember um, this was shot out in St. Helens. We had to move a, a giant like flatbed editor that I, I think wow. was borrowed from, it had to have been borrowed from Will Vinton Studios. Um, and it was heavy because I remember being one of the people <laughs> that had to load it into the van and, um, but yeah, you would, you know, you would go, you would head down to the Technofilm building and I didn't hang out there a lot, but you would, you would go down there and you would see people and, and it was just sort of like, it was just small enough of a community that people would kind of recognize each other. Oh, Hey, how you doing? That sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So at what point did this, this early Portland film scene start to develop into um, kind of the place where where indie darlings kind of got their start, Gus Van Sant and Penny Out, like those types of people. Is that the same group? There was there was a that... lot of that group, and they were they were doing some interesting stuff in the seventies. Um, so there was Penny Allen and Eric Edwards and Gus Van Sant, um, and and then Don Gronquist and George Hood, and there was I I can't remember the name of it. There was a, a like a cable access show that apparently everybody was working on and Mm -hmm. and they were shooting these little shorts and you know penny did um property and then i can't remember the other movie and and gronquist and those guys had done rocket a richie and this is all before my time this is all stuff uh, stories i got out of people Mm -hmm. and um but that was sort of where it was you know it was in back in those days a lot of cities had their sort of independent film scene and 
because again, there was the film lab. So, you know, all somebody needed was either a camera, um, a 16 millimeter or 35 millimeter camera, which a lot of the old TV studios, when they were transitioning from film to video, oh, sure. they, they still had the cameras, right? So, um, you get a camera, you well, borrow the one for the weekend. Well, the Vernonia incident guy was, I think, used TV cameras because he was like the- He was at Coin, I think. He worked, yeah. So that makes sense. I never thought Ooh, about Vernonia that. Ooh, Vernonia incident. Who's that? Who's Who made that one? Oh, man. What's his name, Brian? You want to look that up? <laughs> that's look that that's up. A fascinating. I, sh- I worked on something out in Vernonia once. What was that? Probably um, the Vernonia incident. It had that another. Might be the, the Redneck it had like, Revenge. Yeah, it had like it had seven titles. subtitles as, okay. different, as different distribution compa- companies bought it, it. They just kept changing the names. And the names got like more and more specific, <laughs> which was very strange. Oh, okay. So that one was uh, Ray Etheridge. Okay. Ooh, I know. Oh, I he went off to make Fart the Movie. Yes. Oh, and I have made I some have no idea who that stuff. person is. Um, <laughs> wow. So there, there you go. I just learned something yeah, new. Yeah, well, there you go. Um, but yeah, so, you know, you would, you, they would, um, you know, I, I remember, I can't remember, Gus was running like sound on some of Penny Allen's movies. I think he might have worked on Rocket A. Ritchie a little bit. Everybody sort of knew each other from the local scene. And, uh, and then Gus made Malanoche and you know that put him on the map sort of the the indie scene and and the thing was like something like this was going on in a lot of other cities but nobody was making particularly good movies right, right? so um you you would get something like Miami Connection or something like that and <laughs> that's we were of, so lucky and that's yeah. most of what was was happening in Portland right. and then um and then the thing that really sort of shifted it in a lot of ways was um would have to be drugstore cowboy and that was what 88 or 89 um and so that was you know this is this right around the same time that fatal revenge was getting made and i I was like had no interest in working in film (laughs) you know i was like i'm gonna go off and do something else and and when i i moved to new york and um just had had such a bad experience at school and and really became disillusioned with art and design and illustration and all that sort of stuff and started writing more. And then I came back to Portland and it was like, oh, well, I'm writing and hey, I, I made a movie. I was part of a movie. And and the thing was, Fatal Revenge was so ineptly made. <laughs> and and if anyone who worked on it listens to this, you can't deny it, it was right. ineptly made. <laughs> Prove me um, wrong. <laughs> um, but I, I remember at the time like I said, we'll say I was 20 years old, 19 or 20 years old. I remember thinking while, while I was on set, like, well, anybody can do this, right? And this was shot on 35. This is before uh, the days of, you know, uh, digital video and, and, yeah. and all that sort of stuff. And and so I was so disillusioned with, with the comic industry at that point. And, and I came back to Portland with my tail between my legs. I started writing more. And I, I was... I sort of had this vision of, of what I wanted to do. And I was like, well, if those guys could make Fatal Revenge, I could do anything. And um, it turns out making movies was a lot harder than I thought it would be. But it also uh, got me caught up in in that world for, uh, you know, on and off for about 10 years. So yeah. when did you make Black Santa's Revenge? What that, year was that, that was fairly recently. I that was so. That was like 2006 or okay. so. Yeah, I think it was 2006 is when we shot it. Okay. Okay. And, and, and at that point I had, you know, my, my career was all over the place. I had, um, you know, you, you hit, sometimes you hit this point where you, you give up on your dreams and then you get a real job and 
And for me, every time I did that, I was like, oh, this sucks. And so then I would go back to pursuing my dreams and and making, you know, film and video or film in some capacity. It had always been there, but also doing comics was there and comics in a lot of ways superseded film. And and I started to realize at some point that, you know, as as easy as it is to make a movie, <laughs> making the comics is not easier. Um, no, but it's just it's just everything is so time consuming that after a point you realize, well, I can't work on twenty things all at once. Right, and and it's just started focusing. Right. So, what do you think? We we have this late '80s era of promise. What happens? Like there <laughs> are not a lot of good movies that we're discovering, and it's always no, the thing no. of. If unless it has kids in it is kind of the so that the <laughs> the boom that we saw that is of not of questionable quality <laughs> is that the direct result of this indie movement? Uh, I I think that what happened was there was um you know production started coming up here to this is even in the days before there was like major tax breaks but they you know you could shoot on location here it was if i remember correctly it was a right to work state so um the unions weren't getting heavily involved you have to pay you know actors who were in sag but mm-hmm. um if you didn't have sag actors in a movie then it was really cheap to work here mm-hmm. and 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 so like the teamsters weren't getting involved so i think that had something to do with it it's also fairly close to LA so you could you know fly up here um and and get stuff done fairly inexpensively and what would happen was that some of these productions would were coming up here and we're talking into the 80s and 90s whether it's a movie like Frozen Assets or (laughs) or uh Goonies or something like that you know something a little bit bigger um but then some of the people started relocating here some of the crew people because it was cheaper to work here or it was cheaper to live here, and so people were buying houses. So there was this this sort of generation of there was the people who lived in Portland who were trying to make movies, the Gus Van Sants, the the Don Gronquists, all of them, and then there was that we'll call them first generation, even though there was a generation before that. Um, we'll call them second generation, and then you had the the people that like you know worked on Brain Smasher who decided to call Portland home. That's it. You um, have a you have a you're credited as I forget what for for Brain Smasher on your IMDb page. <laughs> I did a lot of stuff on that movie. I did um that was like that was my boot camp of of behind the scenes. Oh, I haven't seen it yet, so I'm interested. Is that the one with now. Terry Hatcher? Terry Hatcher and Andrew Dice Clay. Yeah, it's a classic. Oh, why am I thinking um, Army of Darkness? Got Bruce Campbell. Is he in that too or nope. not? No. Nope. Or everybody's just thinking that's a very Bruce Campbell title. Oh, there, is, there is brain something with Bruce Campbell. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know brain the one you're wave, talking. maybe. Yeah. Oh, funny. And and Bruce Campbell's down in, or at yeah. least I don't know if he still is. I'm surprised is. he's in not Oregon. in more of them, frankly. Um, he's Because he's got his money. He doesn't need that's that. That's true. He's, uh, he's got a Sam uh, Raimi money. Um, but yeah, no, the, the uh, so people would, people started relocating up here. And then the stuff, then a lot of the productions went away. Um up in Canada, they started getting better tax breaks for, for film productions. And so it dried up really, really quickly. Uh, like it had to have been like around 94, 93, 94, where suddenly it was just like there just wasn't that much work. Yeah. Um, and then the work became stuff like, oh, they're Chevrolet shooting three or four car commercials here. And, you know, you, you crew up on that. Huh. Um, and And at some point I just was like, well, you know, this is not what I, I don't want to be a PA anymore, right. you know? And, uh, and so I just sort of focused on my writing and, and let all that stuff go by the wayside. Right. Um, oh, I just totally forgot what I was going to say. 
Should we talk about Fatal Revenge? Should we get into it? Sure. Okay, because you've got a couple uh, uh, great stories from the the making of Fatal Revenge. Now, in the, I think on your YouTube page, the Badass Mofo YouTube page, there is a great video that's like a four minute distillation yeah. of Fatal Revenge, and that was what they took to. Uh, I'm assuming the different film markets oh, to try sure. to sell yeah, cause it. Yeah, because I mean, it literally just tells the, the whole story. It's not story, a trailer. Yeah. It just tells the story. So that yeah. totally makes sense because there's even a narrator guy that helps. Because I think <laughs> after we all watched it, we watched the that. Then we're like, Oh, right, because we just watched it in sense. German yeah, and yeah. made up our own plot. So we didn't even watch it. a cop, <laughs> a cop with a bad attitude. Yeah. <laughs> Did you tell him what we were going to do with our German copy of the film? Oh, what we wanted to do is have the, <clears throat> someone who knows German. Yeah, do so, a better <laughs> so my sister was married to a German guy, and so he was translating it uh, okay. loosely into English, and then we were just going to dub in the English translation of the German translation <laughs> of the English movie. Uh, and, and then over and the years, <laughs> like cobbled together performances of guests or whatever, read a couple lines and just dub in our own movie. Release the work oven cut. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you, and this is, um, I don't want to get anybody's hopes up, but um, I would not be surprised if I still have the script to oh, wow. somewhere. <laughs> I am I'm I'm a borderline hoarder. I'm I'm probably like a week away from being a hoarder. Um <laughs> but I, I, I remember holding on to that script for a very long time because when I wrote my first screenplay that I used that as the template how to format it. Sure. And sure. um and and so I'm I'm pretty sure because that's one of the, like, for someone like me who does not get rid of anything, yeah. that's one of those things that I, I know I would have kept. Right. I just have no idea where, where it is. Right? Up. So, um, but it, 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 you know what? I remember a couple of days ago sort of looking around my office going, God, there's so much crap here. I got to I gotta get rid of stuff. Um, and so if I do a serious spring cleaning, which I am planning on doing and I find it, I'll let you know. Okay. Good. And, and um, that'll save us a lot of work. I think. But then I also, somewhere I also have the, the in English language dub of the movie nice. too. So, uh, should we show a little clip? Yes. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's see. What we... So tell us about your character. What informed your character and what is your character let, doing in the why, movie? Why don't we just show a oh, okay. clip first? And... <laughs> okay. <laughs> wow, that is an entrance. <laughs> I want the whole movie to be about that character. <laughs> we need this sand. To us, it, it was. <laughs> no, Sanchez? Wie geht's, Bruder? Einfach super. Was sieht ihr Burschen heute wieder hübsch aus? Ach, vergiss es, Mann. Sag mal, bist du... Bereit für den Deal? Meine Güte, du hast es ja wieder furchtbar eilig. <lacht> you got the goods. Ja. Primo. <lacht> ja, prima. Jackson? <lacht> die Übergabe läuft. An die Arbeit, Leute. <lacht> <laughs> it's, it's it's oddly a, more compelling. So yes, that was the German the German version we have, which wow. wasn't your voice, but uh, yeah, no, it no. was also not your voice, which we played in our little intro clip 
um, the English version was also not your voice. No, no. <laughs> but that was my hair. And um, <laughs> yes, who was responsible for the styling of this movie? Was there, oh, there, was, like, there, there was no styling oh, was like, at all. Come as you, so, come as you are. So to, to to just to contextualize this part of it, that part, <laughs> I was incredibly obsessed with um, with the entire Minneapolis sound at that point. Prince and the Revolution, Morris Day in the Time, and I just wanted hair like that so bad. <laughs> um, and so that's what that was. That was my hair. Um, as I said before, my friend Jr. and I went in and we auditioned, and and I remember reading for Sanchez, and I can't remember the other part that they had me read for. I so did not take this seriously that I didn't get that the character of Sanchez was gay, right. and um, and so I got cast in the part. I was super excited. I want to say they paid me like it was some ridiculously low amount of money, like two or three hundred dollars total, right? Um, and, and I'm pretty sure that it was JR who called me up and he read the whole script because he'd been cast too. And he was like, hey, um, you know, you're, you're playing a gay guy, right? You know, and, and I was like, really? No. And then I read it and I was like, oh, I guess he is. So again, you know, and this is such a different time and era. I had no idea what I was doing. Right. I wasn't really much of an actor. You had only seen Mannequin. Yeah, with, uh... exactly. yeah and I don't think Mannequin was out yet. Um, and so I was just like, okay, well... I bar. I remember borrowing a shirt from my mom, um, and that sort of leopard print thing that you see in the beginning. <laughs> the blouse. And yes. and I can't remember who did my makeup, but it was it was very gaudy. Right. And and I guess I was like, it it was either I was either doing like a um, a Paul Lind or a Charles <laughs> Nelson Riley, but I, I but I also was it was with this really because the character's name was Sanchez. There was I was also trying to do this bizarre Spanish accent, right? right? right. So it was, um, I honestly can't remember, but it was, I, re I remember it being very much like this <laughs> and, and trying to talk like a sultry Latin, you know, Lothario. And, um, and again, I just, I didn't. Command performance. Yeah, it was, it was just so surreal to me. And, and again, I had no idea what movies, how they were, I mean, I knew how they were made, mind mm. you, but I'd never, I didn't really have much experience. So, on the set, it was just like, wow, okay, this, like anybody can do this. And, and because JR was in more of the film, he started shooting before I did. And he would call me like every day afterwards and be like, I don't think these people know what they're doing. And, and, <laughs> and, um, and, and Phil Roth, the director, his mom was, um, she was she did all the catering and craft services and she wasn't a particularly good cook so everybody like I, I kept hearing the stories about how bad the food was and and then that that scene that we that clip we just showed was my um i think that was my i only shot three or four days i think that might have been my first day of shooting um it was either that or it was the um yeah no i only shot for three days i remember that now because there was there was one day out in cascade locks that that airstrip which i think is out by powell butte somewhere oh, okay um and then somewhere over in um is uh, that scene uh in the inner east side industrial district it looked like i think but it was it was further north okay. so it wasn't uh it wasn't down near um it was closer to like the fremont bridge okay yeah and and I and it's one of those things like I, I'm trying to remember like what what was there? They drove me there though. That's the thing I remember. I had to drive myself to all the other things, but this was the one time for some reason they, they Did drove they blindfold me there. you too? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I uh, 
yeah, there was there was a moment where I did I I thought oh I'm gonna I'm gonna get killed here. Uh, there I was, was gonna ask they, about this. Yeah, they were the, safety was not a high priority. Well, because <laughs> in oddly enough, in the German version that we watch, this scene I think that you're gonna tell the story about is cut out. Oh, and okay. it only <laughs> the only place we saw it is the little four minute version, and that is the ver- that is the part where you get shot where you get killed yeah yeah there's i actually put that whole clip just that clip of me getting killed oh nice as well oh funny. And it's like maybe 19 seconds or something <laughs> and um it's uh yeah th- and we shot that scene out in cascade locks that's when i i get double crossed and and gene kills me and um and i remember going out there to to shoot this thing and they had to wire me up with these squibs, these homemade squibs. And, and I, I was wearing one of my mom's blouses. Right. Oh, no. And, um, and, <laughs> and, and the special effects guy was like, Oh, it's going to be a shame to ruin this thing. And I was like, what? <laughs> and they were like, Oh, well it's going to get destroyed. And I was like, well, no, um, this is my mom's. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. So, so uh, I, I made Phil, the director take off his sweatshirt because <laughs> this is going to sound so terrible, so homophobic, <laughs> but I got to say it. It was the gayest thing that was on set, right? It was this. It was that that light blue sort of thing, and yeah. and I was like, okay, this is something that that looks like I would wear it as right. as a this character. gay Mexican drug dealer. <laughs> um, and 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 Phil and I were about the same size, so I, I made him take off a sweatshirt. I put that on. They wired me up, and um, and and guy named John Schmier, who was a really nice guy. He was, he was the special effects guy. Um, he'd made all the squibs himself. And, and I remember him asking Phil, the director, he said something about, oh, we should give him an earplug so that when the squibs go off, it, you know, it won't mess up his hearing. And, and Phil was like, no, no, you, you'd see that earplug on camera. And, (laughs) and so I said, so I look at Schmier, who was this, he was a big guy. He was like probably 400 pounds. Mm. I was like, Schmier looks at me like, um, okay. And, and I will, I said, well, how loud is it going to be? And he's, and he goes, you know, it's no louder than a gunshot going off next to your ear. <laughs> and I think to myself, oh, well, how loud can that be? Right. So, uh, so they wire me up and, and we, and, and because of the whole nature of it, we were only going to get one take. They had two, maybe three cameras rolling at the same time. And, um, and they, the entire direction I gave was, I got was, okay, the shots are coming, going to be coming from this way. And so just, you know, pretend you get shot and fall back in the car and you're going to get shot three times. And I was like, okay. And, um, and I'll tell you that squib hurt so bad and it was so loud. Um, and, and the other thing was that it was, they'd made like this rawhide vest that the squibs were on top of the rawhide vest, which was under my shirt, but they Fixed it to my body with electrician's duct tape, right? So, <laughs> like, I, I'm I'm a very hairy guy. So the the squibs go off, and by the time the third squib goes off, it was so loud that it literally knocked me unconscious, right? Jeez. So when you if you see the clip, and I'm falling back into the car, I'm completely unconscious when this happens, and um, and so I I come to. Nobody says anything. I'm just like uh, ass out in in the in the open doorway of this car. Um, I come to and everyone's like, "Wow, that was amazing!" Now you just need to sit there while we set up the next shot. So we set up the next shot. I sat there for like over an hour. 
Um, and meanwhile, I'm in, I'm in an incredible amount of pain. I can't figure out why I'm in so much pain. I, I've lost all the hearing in my <laughs> left ear. And, uh, and so we finally finish, and I'm covered in fake blood. And we, I go back to the, the we wrap, I wrap. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm getting the hell out of here. So I drive back to this motel over in Cascade Locks, and I'm literally covered in fake blood with this shredded up sweatshirt. I go into the motel room to take a shower and to get all this fake blood off of me before I drive back to Portland and the blood's not coming off. (laughs) And like, it's just, there's more of it and more of it and more of it and more of it. And that's when I realized that part of the squib had cut into my face and torn out a chunk of my my face. And so I'm in the shower just bleeding all over the place. And um Yep, there we go. We're watching that clip right now, and uh, oh, yeah, sorry. it was it was. Um, I have it on my. <laughs> okay, I'll send you a link. A link here, and, and so I just remember thinking at that moment, you know, this is before Brandon Lee had gotten killed, right. um, but because I was enough of a film nerd, I knew that this was how Vic Morrow got killed, right? Oh my right. god! And uh, so I was I was so livid, and and that happened to also. It was supposed to be my last day of shooting when they wanted me to come back to, to loop the sound, I was like, no, I'm not done. I'm, I'm, I'm done with you guys. (laughs) It's not worth my life. um, And, and I had, they wanted me to come back. I I had moved to New York by then. And, um, but yeah, that was, I tell people all the time, that's the most authentic acting I've ever done in my life. Cause I, I literally had lost consciousness. You were going to die. Wow. Yeah. There's three, three squib explosions that happen. Yeah. Uh, I emailed it to you, Mark. Okay. Sorry, I couldn't figure out how to. That needs to be a gift. Maybe I'll make that into a GIF. Oh, please do. do. <laughs> Sorry, was that me? Sorry. No, the, um, so the funny thing is, is I, I I have no shame, so I will show this to people. Um, obviously, I put it up. It's on it's on my YouTube channel. Yeah. Um, but Sanford Green, one of the comic book artists that I work with, is obsessed with this clip. So whenever we're at a convention together. He will break out his phone, oh, pull up this video, and show it to everybody. And um, I don't know how many views does it have. It doesn't have. It's only got uh, about a thousand, right? Four thousand five hundred. Four thousand. Yeah, so. most of those are probably Sanford showing them <laughs> to somebody. Um, but yeah, so that was you know that was my experience in uh, making Fatal Revenge. And um, wow. yeah. So after it came out, did you even know it was released? Did you see it for a while or? It, it never. I was going to say, was it released? It never got an official release in the U.S. Um, I I was given a copy by, or JR actually was given a copy by somebody who worked on the set, was given a VHS copy, which he gave to me. Sorry. And then I dubbed it. And and there was a time where, so I used to work at a video store in, in Southeast Portland. So there was a time when, like other people who'd worked on the movie heard that I had a copy of the movie. So they would come to the video store so I could run a dub for them. Wow. Um, and we're here for the personal stash yeah, for, for, for fatal revenge. <laughs> but I think it got a, a, a theatrical release, like in, in Germany and Greece, maybe, or Turkey or something like well, that. Well, Germany would make sense because that yeah. eBay seller or whatever that, that Mark found of her, didn't he have like nine copies of it or yeah. something? 
Yeah. Oh, wow. He had, he, he had a copies. surplus. So, but it's never, um, it never got an official release in the U.S. They, they, they made up a poster and they took it to whatever film markets there were back in the day, like AFM or MeFed or something like that. But they, they weren't able to sell it, which is saying a lot. Yeah. Um, because there was so much garbage being sold back in those days. And it took, it had to have taken about two to three years for them to finish it. I know that with the, um, with the having to re-record the sound and all that sort of stuff, because it seems to me like, you know, like I said, this was 87, 88 that we shot it, but I don't remember seeing a, my copy of it till around 92, maybe something Whoa. like that. Wow. And, and it was just like, yeah, it was bad. And they, and, and I, I'm, I'm, I know at least one of the cameras that they used belonged to Tom Shaw, but all of them might've belonged to Tom Shaw. I yeah. Can't, that's I can't kind of what, sure. That's kind of that's another name that comes up a lot yeah. because oh, I, I think as many people have pointed out, he had all the equipment that people came to everything. To did use. you did you ever meet Tom Shaw? Oh yeah, yeah yeah. yeah. Uh, we so, need to start our own Tom Shawcast. <laughs> yeah, the, the, and everything you've heard about him is true. Um, it's true, all, all of it. it. <laughs> his his office slash studio, whatever you want to call it, was over in Southeast on Division. Yep, Division fiftieth. And uh, have you seen? And I forget you found it on the way Internet Wayback Machine. I think that documentary about Tom Shaw, right? Which is fascinating and just a lot of oh, video it, of the time. Was it like um one of those like AM Northwest sort of? No, it know? was like a full twenty thirty Ooh, minute wow. thing. I yeah, think. we'll send you a link. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'd it's love to see that. Um. No, so I, I'm. I think the first time I I met Shaw, I, I was only over there two, maybe three times. I had written a screenplay at one point that I was trying to get money for. To this would have been probably about ninety. No, this was pretty early because because uh, again, I I dropped out of college and was like, yeah, I'm I'm gonna make movies. Uh, Fatal Revenge. Anybody can do this, right? <laughs> so a friend of mine, we wrote a. A, co-wrote a screenplay together had no idea what we were doing um you had the formatting though because you had, you the, had the formatting because i had the script <laughs> exactly and um and then we uh i don't remember who somebody said oh go go talk to tom shaw tom shaw because so it you know it was this script that had like it was this raunchy 20 something sex comedy sort of thing and right and, in Tom Shaw's alley. <laughs> yeah. And so that was why somebody said, you know, go talk to Tom Shaw. So I remember going in there and and I brought the script with me and and he's flipping through it and he's like, "What is all this?" And I I was like, "Well, that's the dialogue." And he goes, "There's too much of it. You got to get rid of it. Nobody wants to see people talk." And then I and I go, well, if you turn to page 13, there's a sex scene. And he was like, yeah, more <laughs> of this. Um, so, so now it, this kid, yeah. this is what you want to do. So it became really clear that, that Tom Shaw was not going to get behind this particular film. Um, and and I'll say that the, I'll say this was 90. Right. And then a couple <clears throat> years later, somebody calls me up and is like, Hey, there's a. It was in the Sunday Oregonian in the classified section. There was a, a job listing for a screenwriter, <laughs> and they were somebody calls me up and goes, "Hey, someone's looking for a screenwriter. You should go get that job, right?" I so I look at it and it was Tom Shaw. Oh wow! And he advertised for a screenwriter in the Sunday Oregonian. That is amazing. That's awesome. And and so this had to have been. Um, I remember not having a car at this particular time, so I will say it was like ninety three, ninety four. And um, I remember 
taking the bus, the Division Street bus to his his place. He didn't remember me at all, but um, I, you know, it, the guy was he looked like a bulldog, and and he just had the smoker's <laughs> rasp like this, and he was like, "Okay, I'm making a movie, and uh, there's no money to pay you to write it, but uh, do you want to write it?" <laughs> And I was like, there's no money. And I was like, I can do that for myself. So, so it didn't work out. I didn't, uh, I, I, I didn't work on whatever that was. And, and he never, he barely finished anything. I mean, he's got, he's got two listed, one of them, a TV movie, but then courier of death, which I think I, I, I've got edges out. Oh yeah. yeah, No, it edges out fatal revenge in that we were talking earlier about that Alamo draft house B movie, best of the worst type thing. And I think, that's still at the top of my list of favorite movies that we've done on this show. Courier, Courier of Death. Courier and that's got death. like the following in, in Europe. I yeah, guess. totally. Yeah, yeah. Like, it does. Yeah. yeah. So. so I think I've got the transition. Yeah. Uh, we may have to tweak with audio okay. after it. I do. Oh, Gene, I'm so disappointed in you. I think that's probably about as loud as it actually was. Yeah. <laughs> so again, wow. that, is... that was my real hair. That was the director's sweatshirt. And then that that sitting position I was in, I had to sit there for probably about an hour as they reset up the cameras. Jeez. <laughs> the things wow. we did you? I mean, I was going to say, if, if somebody would have told you on that day that like, 35 years later you would be first i'd have to explain what a podcast was but yeah, then yeah. That you would be talking about that still is so crazy yeah it's weird it's it's definitely i mean thinking about all of this stuff is so odd to me because again it, it brings back all these memories and and you know when we talk about sort of the history of of film in portland and productions in portland uh, you know that most of that generation is gone yeah and and so people come here uh, you know, we would get we got an influx of people who came here to work on Leverage, or they came here to work on Portlandia. Some of them stayed, some some of them left, but a lot of those who stayed, you know, never knew who Tom Shaw was, never yeah, heard of yeah. Fatal Revenge, never heard of any of this sort of stuff. And and I just, you know, I love collecting stories and experiences, and and um, you know, nothing killed me. I got hurt a little <laughs> bit, but uh, you know, it was it was fun. Yeah, no matter what. And the, but the food was terrible. She was a um, a terrible. Cook. Well, and I think a lot of the reasons uh, those stories are still alive is because I mean you've been writing about it for yeah. forever. Uh, and 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 just I, I think it's, it's sort of like uh, when you move into a house that needs like some the backyard redone or whatever. You never think to take pictures of just like what it looked like. You kind of take some before pictures. Yeah, but, that's very rare. Yeah. And like before you decorate the house you want, you never take that. And I think that's what this is, is like it wasn't a great thing to look at, but no. it's important to keep <laughs> yeah. around to see like this is where it kind of started. And this is this was what was happening at that time, because there aren't a lot of people, especially since so many of these movies are so hard to find. Oh, they're lost there. You know, I mean, if it didn't if a movie didn't get a, a, a home video release in the U.S., uh, like Fatal Revenge didn't yeah. get, then then nobody bothered to make a video master of it, right? Yeah. And yep. so, um, 
I don't know. I, I heard stories of a of a, a PAL version. This is VHS. Um, no, that that is pal. is pal. Oh, this is PAL. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so we had we, we ordered it and like waited weeks for it to, and we all got <laughs> from to, Germany. From Germany, we got together to all watch it on an afternoon. We put it in, and it was, it was, oh. it was PAL. Okay, yeah. and so then we got it ripped to uh, to a DVD. Okay, and then we took the DVD and yeah, yeah. So it's I mean all it's. It, <laughs> It Again, was a lot of work. There's so much. Yeah, and just watch this. Movie. It was now so any, worth it, wasn't it? Now, yeah, yeah, um, now anyone can just go to YouTube and type in Fatal Revenge, and you'll get actually your little synopsis video or Fatal Revenge German. Yeah. And then you can watch it all in German. Well, that was, I think, was it our first movie that we watched after Halloween Town? It was way up there. It was way up there. It was. Yeah. It I was think, probably, yeah. I think yeah. Halloween Town. I think Free Willy was uh, number. Free Willy was number two. I think. Yeah. But and this and was... then this really set the tone for the rest of our journey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it really was kind of a benchmark because it is that that lost area that that we nobody talks about and nobody like you said nobody kind of remembers and I think that's been the most fun on this is as terrible as everything has been, it's so interesting. Yeah. To find these buried little secrets, just and then people come out of the woodwork and like comment on our oh, posts yeah. and stuff. Yeah, and it's like, like oh, I was oh, an I was extra. And I yeah, a isn't story that crazy? And... Like you'll watch something. I remember watching um, Brain Smasher, and <laughs> there's a a scene outside of a nightclub that the interior was shot at. Back then, it was Starry Night. Now it's Roseland, um, but the the that was the interior. But the exterior was just some random spot i can't remember where but in the crowd like it's all my friends like i knew all of those people and um and that's one of those movies where like if they needed extras i would just get on the phone and call people up and they would show up and um yeah it was really that more so than anything that's the movie that i that and fatal revenge are the two that i have the most memories of because fatal revenge being the first but but brain smashers being like um that was just a weird time in my life, man. Yeah, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I did all kinds of crazy stuff, and and I was I was just I was watching Murder She Wrote on cable not that long ago, <laughs> and and Tim Thomerson was on an episode, and I worked with Tim Thomerson on uh, on Brain Smasher, and I remember he, um, I, I can't remember if he had just gone through a really bad divorce, but he was just all he did was talk about how he wanted to get high, <laughs> and and. With Kevin Costner, yeah, as, right. he, as he filmed the Postman. <laughs> so I didn't, you know, I didn't know anybody really, who, you know, I didn't know that many pot smokers back then. But I called one person I knew and and set up a weed deal. So I was the, I was, the, I, was I was Tim Thomerson's weed dealer, and and then and I remember he said to me, <laughs> I shouldn't say this, but he said something to the effect of like, hey, you know, well, if you can figure out where to get cocaine or someone who's willing to kill my ex-wife, let me know. And I was just like, introduce him to Tom Shaw. I was like, yeah, I, I don't think I can help you out with that, sir. Um, so episode six was Fatal Revenge. Okay. Okay. Oh, wow. So we did Breaking In, Free Willy, Dr. Giggles, The Hunted, and Halloween Town before that. Wow. Dr. Classics, Dr. Giggles. And it's, yeah. that's the other thing is like, there's forgotten movies like Fatal Revenge, but then there's all of these forgotten movies that star like yeah, actual like stars. Breaking In was a was a pretty high profile movie. Burt Reynolds, Reynolds, yeah. Who directed that? That was um oh I forget now. Was, I, I think it was Siskel and Ebert loved it. It yeah, seems it was, like that movie is 
We all hate it, but every time we read something about it, everybody loves it. And so like, I, I can never figure out if it's just collectively us just missing the point of it or if people are misremembering. I, I, you know what? I, it has an 89% on Rotten Tomatoes. It was uh, Bill Forsyth. Bill okay. Forsyth. And I think, isn't he Irish or something like that? Yeah. I can't remember. I, I think, Scottish. So, you know, this was made, when, when Breaking In was made, uh, the temp and Brain Smasher and all this sort of stuff was getting made. And and this was just like a cut above, I think, some of those movies. It seemed more like a real movie. I remember, I've only seen this one time. It played... It had in, a very indie vibe. Yeah, yeah, But yeah, it yeah. definitely was a real movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's what it... And but it was I mean, like, what? oh, this is... And, and, you would, and you saw recognizable locations, and yeah. there was all these extras that, that were recognizable. And it, it, it felt like this was the closest thing to a good movie that was going to get made in Portland yeah. by outsiders. Um, mm. That's true. But that's true. Yeah, they I did have a lot of great looks. Is, uh, it, is, is it even available? It must be on video somewhere. I think it's probably at Movie Madness. Yeah. yeah, we had no problem however we watched it. Yeah. Um, but speaking of hard to find movies, uh, what can you tell us about Love and Dynamite? <laughs> it's garbage. Oh, <laughs> sorry, I shouldn't say that. I was in that. I, was, I played a, a really small part in that. So Love and Dynamite had to have been made. Um, uh, so we, we, we shot Fatal Revenge, and right around the same time that Fatal Revenge was being shot, Steve Miller shot another movie. I want to say it was called Visions. Um, Steve Miller was the director of, went on to direct Love and Dynamite. So a lot of people who worked on um, Fatal Revenge ended up moving over to Visions. It, it seems to me like... Uh, even the, the the camera equipment and everything, which a lot of it was Tom Shaw's, went over to to, to Visions, and Jr. was cast in a pretty sizable part in um in this in this particular movie Visions, which honestly I I don't even remember I was what it was say, about. Is that a, that doesn't sound, doesn't sound familiar? I'm looking. A yeah. man a man has troubling visions that lead him to suspect he may be a killer who is murdering hobos around town. Yeah, so well, that was this. So, so I think Stephen Miller is going to be my new best friend for a while. So, so this was he was local, and 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 I'll say this: he was a really nice guy. Um, and so I I was an extra. If I I I don't think I had a speaking part in Visions, but um, but since Jr. was in the movie, and because I had a car, I would I would drive him around. <laughs> think and of where was, your life would be without this car that you had bought. Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, and the other thing, and this is one of those things I shouldn't I shouldn't admit to. Um, this must have been shot like concurrently, at least with parts of, of Fatal Revenge, because um, Sandra, who was in Fatal Revenge, who played the lead, was had a small part in Visions. OK. And I remember Jr. calling me and saying he needed a ride to set and that they were filming a scene that took place at a strip club. And did I want to be an extra? And I was like, hell yeah, because I'll get to see um, some some nudity, right? And and that was and that was where I met Sandra for the first time because we never worked together on Fatal Revenge. Um, so this is, I'm sorry, this is such a long rambling story. But so Steve really liked Jr. And when it came time to make Love and Dynamite, he cast Jr. in essentially the lead, and. Now the thing was, was Dan Haggerty was in it. Dan Haggerty, Grizzly Adams, and it was it was shot primarily on video, and and I remember at the time thinking to myself, like, why the hell are you doing this? And I I had a I remember sitting down talking to to Steve and and the guy who shot it, 
uh, was a guy named Dale who has since passed away. But everybody was looking for an alternative to shooting on film and, and video really wasn't it. But there was all these things. There, there was this film look process that people kept saying you can do. Oh, you can make video look like right. film. And for like the first five years of it, it never looked <laughs> anything like <laughs> film. And Love and Dynamite was one of those movies where I would say probably 25% of it was shot on either 16 or 35 and the rest was shot on video. And they were never able to to get it to match up. Um, and... And so I got a call from uh, JR that Steve wanted to talk to me to play um, a preacher for some reason. The, the final scene in the movie, or one of the final scenes in the movie, there's a, a funeral, and um, and I was like, okay, you know, because I was the guy who was always around cracking jokes and, and cutting up. So I, I wrote this uh, sermon, and we, we I drove up to Vancouver, Washington, and shot this thing, and... I to this day I've never seen that movie. I have a copy of it somewhere. I was say, on it VHS. doesn't have a picture. It doesn't have a description. It doesn't have anything. But it has a listing. So somebody made it. It's not available anywhere. It's uh, now. How oh, does oh, this? Got, I do have a copy of it somewhere. I will find that one. And that one you can. Nice. But here's the thing. This is what I can say for sure about Love and Dynamite, was that Jr. and I sat down multiple times to watch it, and we never got through it. It was so bad. That's and, a five out of ten. Somehow. Yeah, but how many votes? Based on like, yeah, probably one. True. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it doesn't say how many reviews. The, the one there. review, the title is Amateur Oddball Rarity. Rarity yes. but, but it did get an official release in some capacity. Wow. Because so, like the VHS copy that I have is an actual, it's got a sleeve oh, okay. and all that sort of stuff. So um, To keep my eye out, eyes out for it. And I used bins. to, I haven't seen Miller in years. Um, like I said, when I, when I got it, this wild idea in my head that I was going to make movies, um, and and wrote a couple screenplays. He was he was one of the few people that really sat down and, and talked to me. Uh, I can't remember who his his first AD was, um, but she was the one who taught me how to break down a script oh, wow. and and do all that sort of stuff. And 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 even on Fatal Revenge, where I wasn't taking it seriously, I was sort of paying attention to what sure. was going on. Um, I remember sneaking onto the set of of um, My Own Private Idaho and just watching yeah. Gus Van Sant in action. Um, but so Steve, you know, really sat down and talked to me about a lot of stuff. And I would see him. Um, it seems to me like within the when I say recently, it's not that recently because it's 2020. <laughs> right. But it, it seems to me like in the early 2000s, I would see him pretty regularly out near where um, Will Vinton Studios used to be, which was was right down the street from Technofilm. Uh, then it became Leica, and now it's like a super price, high price condo or something like that. But um, it seems to me like I, I would I would see him, and you know I'd kind of hey how you doing, and either he didn't recognize me or remember me, and and so he's got to be in his. I'm thinking he's got to be in his like late 60s now, if not late 60s, maybe even his 70s. But he was he was always a really nice guy. But I always felt kind of bad because it was like his movies just weren't that good. Right. He he had a hit with um whatever he did before Visions and Love and Dynamite. I think it was called like Fathers and Sons, which had, was a hit like on the on the festival circuit. Which that the whole festival circuit changed too. Like nobody knew what film festivals were, right? Right. It wasn't until like the late '80s, early '90s, where suddenly people were talking about them. Um, but well, yeah, and that's another reason your name comes up a lot of time in this research because you have done screenings of a lot of these mm -hmm. movies that have been mostly forgotten. 
Um, and so that's, yeah, I just, I just like that light is being kind of shown. Yeah. I I think all this stuff needs to be, no matter how bad it is. I mean, well, and I'm wondering (laughs) like if we took any random say like Pittsburgh and like looked at all of the movies that were filmed in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Like I'm sure most of those are terrible too. Like, or I wonder if it's just a Portland thing. No, it's, it's, but it's interesting that you say Pittsburgh because (laughs) Pittsburgh is the city that. That's the one city that a lot of people know because George Romero came out of Pittsburgh, right? Oh, okay. And so he did Night of the Living Dead. And, and, and that whole scenario that I was talking to you about, about the local film labs and borrowing the cameras from the news stations, that's what him and his crew did. And they did Night of the Living Dead. And, but when you look at the movies that they did afterwards, they did some stinkers, man. Mm-hmm. There was um, there. There's always vanilla was a terrible movie. Uh, Season of the Witch was really terrible. I, I love the crazies, but that's not a particularly good movie. Um, and then, like in Kentucky, there was there was a scene there too because William Girdler, who made Grizzly, which was a ripoff of Jaws, he made a, <laughs> a, a movie called Abby, which was like the black exploitation version of The Exorcist. Oh wow! Um, Girdler made most of his movies in Kentucky, if I remember correctly. And and as I started getting more into just the history of film and and my experiences in Portland, that's when I started to put together, okay, every city had to have had this. Mm-hmm. Most of the times it was um they made horror films. That's like what Sam yeah. Raimi and those guys did, right? They made um what was their their first one? Within the Woods. Within the Woods. And then there was a guy out of Ohio who made a movie called The Dead Next Door. And and so there was all this stuff in the a lot of it was in the 70s and 80s, but most of it was was garbage. <laughs> I mean, I hate to say it. So something had to really something would have to land properly. And and so when you look at it, there's only a handful of examples of say a Night of the Living Dead or a Malanoche that that gets made and has has a mm. life beyond it. Um, but you look at say, uh, God, I don't know. Like, we talk about the Miami connection, yeah. right? But there's a ton of movies that came out of Miami in the seventies and eighties. And, you know, all of them, well, not all of them, but a lot of them were financed, you know, with laundered money. Right. And, um, and I know a lot of them because they, they did a handful of like black exploitation movies that I've seen. And, but when you watch them, it's like. There, there was, I mean, there was a time when I had movies on VHS in my home that weren't even on IMDb. Wow. Now, now most things are on IMDb, but there was a time when it's like I would show people, oh, here's a movie, and yeah. let's go look it up on IMDb, and it wouldn't be there. <laughs> oh, and that's crazy. Like, um, and 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 it's a lot of it is that stuff because it's like, um, you know, let's say it's 1975 or ni- even 1985, and you make some low budget indie feature regionally. That's so bad, either it doesn't get finished or you can't get a distribution deal. Um, and maybe you can't get a distribution deal because um, not everybody signed the contracts, you know, or maybe the sound mix just wasn't good enough. There might have been one little thing or or some investor got pissed off. And 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 so then the film just sort of disappears, you know, and, and you know, again, I know this because. I was I was around as some of these movies were getting made. The you know the the Courier of Death and and um, was it there's one called Bad Trip if I remember correctly. Yeah, Philip Roth. And, yeah, yeah. And uh, and then Lowry did another one called like Red Snow or something. And um, and and all these movies they come and go and and you know 
if you're if you're lucky, some pack rat like me holds on to it, um, <laughs> or someone like us dredges it up. Yeah, but I, and I and I I kind of I love this sort of stuff. I mean, I think that it's it's uh, I mean, if it wasn't for all these this, I mean, yeah, it's, it's the cool. foundation. Yeah, it's it, I I I learned so much on on these movies yeah. and 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 hanging out on these sets and and I wouldn't trade it for anything. I I mean, it's uh, how many people can say they almost died in Cascade Locks, Oregon because they <laughs> had a homemade squib went off and tore a chunk of, you know, it's one of those things where I just imagine like, you know, a quarter of an inch more and it would have severed your jugular vein. And it's like, oh my God. So, uh, so what do you, th- I'm going to ask two different questions here. One, one best. What is your favorite movie made in Portland? Uh, you know, it's it, well. There's I, I love Drugstore Cowboy, right? So I mean, that's it, there's like, what's my favorite great movie? I was gonna Drug say, what's your favorite, and what do you think is the best? Um, I, I love Drugstore Cowboy for sure, but I'm I'm a huge Brain Smasher fan. I mean, I absolutely love that movie. I'm so disappointed that it never got like it should. It deserves a Blu-ray release with an audio commentary. Um, I should be the one to do the audio commentary. Are you listening, Criterion? <laughs> yeah, right. Or or, or or um, not Criterion, but Shout Factory. Yeah, uh, yeah, there yeah. You go. Um, but yeah, so I love, I love Brain Smasher. I guess we'll be doing that next month then. Yeah, book um, kick Untraceable off the list. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, like in terms of general Oregon films, yeah. you know, we're talking Portland. But I mean, my favorite, one of my top five favorite movies of all time is One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, mm-hmm. and and that's. I think that like not only is that one of the greatest American films of all time, it's it's probably the greatest film ever shot in this in the lovely Beaver State. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, you know, um, I, I do. I have a soft spot for for Brain Smasher, and you know, some of these movies like The Temp, Doctor Giggles, I've seen once, sometimes not even all the way through, um, <laughs> and a lot of it for me comes down to. When you say what's the best Portland movie, yeah, the, the equation is is the movie itself, like, can you is it watchable, right? <laughs> and then there's the how much of Portland is in it, yeah. Um, so you take like, is it Ironheart? That's the Robert yes. Klaus movie, yeah. Like, that's a that's a great Portland movie in terms of locations and extras and all that stuff, but it's a terrible movie. Yeah. Like, like who wants to watch it? And um, we did apparently. Yeah, no, I. Uh, it's, you saw it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that was. Um, we were excited whoo. for a kung fu movie that never came. Yes, right. <laughs> Everybody well, had guns, and it was funny because Robert Klaus directed Enter the Dragon. So you you mm-hmm. would think, then you realize you start hearing the stories about. Well, no, Robert it was Bruce Lee directed everything that was good in Enter the Dragon. Like, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, that makes sense. And now then it as well. starred like Bruce Lee's cousin. cousin. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it was. Uh, wow. Yeah, that that movie was bad. That was bad. But so, yeah, to me, a lot of it is like um, when I look at something like Brain Smasher, it's literally like taking a tour of Portland circa 1991-ish. Oh, wow. And, nice. and, and so, you know, so much of, of this city, especially downtown Portland, has changed so much. And, and, you know, as a kid, I went to the movies all the time at the Guild, the Music Box, the Fox, and um, the Broadway Theater. And, and... I, I know for sure the music box, the Fox and the guild make an appearance, the exteriors make an appearance um, in, in brain smash. Oh, nice. And so it's just like seeing that is like, Oh, okay. Yeah. This is, this is the Portland yeah. that, that well, I remember from my youth. That saved a lot of movies that we watched that were like, well, but it did have a lot of Portland in it. Yeah. 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 So, well, 
you guys have more questions? I feel like we can just see here forever. I mean, this we, we could, yeah. There's somewhere you have to draw the line, but... <laughs> <laughs> the line must be drawn here. <laughs> um, What else? You do wonderful uh, pictures of passion flowers on your, <laughs> yeah. on your uh, social media, which I'm a huge fan of. Um, but you do do a lot and have done a lot and a lot of different media and stuff like that. And it's, it's been, it's been fun. I was kind of introduced to, to your name at least, uh, uh, via the Rick Emerson show, okay. uh, in the early two thousands probably. And you were on court and fat boy a lot, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, was, I, was I didn't listen to them as much. So, but I, that whole group of people is sort of the same. Yeah. And so many friends of friends that, that I've known your name for a long time. So it's great to finally have you on the show. Yeah. We've, we've, messaged back and forth about it for quite some time so yes you are you're um, a busy a busy man that, <laughs> that has a lot of things happening so I'm, I'm grateful that you you made the time to come here so if someone is unfamiliar with you where where do you want to point them this and saying this is the thing i want you to learn about david walker oh man i don't know or um, this is the thing i want you to buy from david walker i'll say it <laughs> uh it, it, my my website is just uh davidfwalker.com i i recently realized I'm, I'm spending way too much time on social media so i i can rather than do that i'm trying to focus more on my creativity but you can always find me there and that has and you've a got a great new uh, comic strip there actually yeah I'm, I'm i'm working on my comic strip a lot and i'm i'm writing my first tv pilot and which is not easy um but but i made fatal revenge i worked that's on right movie, so I, I <laughs> if can they could do it yeah. you can do it yeah yeah <laughs> Um, and that's it. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm just I'm, I'm co-writing a couple different comics right now, also writing some solo, but I've sort of gotten into this groove of co-writing. So I'm co-writing a book called Bitterroot at Image, yes. uh, co-writing Which Naomi. was just picked up for a, a TV series, movie? Film. That's Film. what they say. Yeah. Anyway, we're, you know, it's optioned. Who knows what that means? Yeah. You know, um, and but then Young Justice news, yeah. working on that, too. So yeah, I was interested in so. this is i not a behind the curtain thing, but I, as your, uh, I mentioned your character, Naomi, that has her own title and uh, it may be getting a one again, but she's kind of gone out into different DC titles. And I was looking at the little credits or whatever, like Batman is created by uh, Bob Kane with Bill Finger. Yeah. And, um, but they, I, I did not see a Naomi created by <laughs> David Walker uh, co created thing, which I'm sure is just some. There's legal and log logistical thing somewhere. Uh, Naomi created by Brian Bendis, David Walker and Jamal Campbell. I've seen. Yeah. It. I, well, so. I think that's in the main in the yeah. main title. But when when she went to Action Comics, I was. Yeah, like, I know. That's yeah. They probably <laughs> they they I'm they sure. bill fingered you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they, they bill fingered. Me. I like that. <laughs> so many ways to take that. <laughs> yeah. Well, all right. Thank you again for coming on again. Uh, well, thanks for having me on. This is fun. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, go to Unipiper.com to find out all Unipiper things. Anything coming up in that land brian um uh next weekend we'll be at the uh, ramen and whiskey festival oh that's oh, right with, the two things that portland. don't belong together yeah <laughs> that's why that's why it's, uh weird portland is the charity of choice that's amazing um i think i'm selling my vhs tapes at some point on the 25th somewhere at the tanker the is that 25th a place? of yeah it is a place okay oh, and i've been I'll to be the there. vhs swap okay. at the tanker well there you go i'll be doing that very cool i'll be there i'll try and stop by nice uh mark anything for you no uh you can uh, well, yes, uh, you, you can catch uh, Todd and myself on the Mark and Toddcast uh, weekly and uh, also on Fun Employment Radio, and um, uh, which you can also 
find poorly in the movies. Yep. Uh, fantastic. I don't know what we'll, uh, what music we'll take to the, and we'll, maybe we'll just play you getting shot, uh, in fatal revenge <laughs> again. Uh, yeah, but thank you for listening. Uh, thank you for the Patreon supporters that are out there. We really appreciate it. Uh, thank you for listening. We'll talk to you later. Oh, I don't have the sound, I guess on this. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Gene, I'm so disappointed in you.